All right, what is up, Providence Church? G'day. Yeah, so g'day. My name is Sam Chan, and yes, I've come all the way from Australia. Yes, in case you're wondering, I am Asian. I was born in Hong Kong, but grew up in Australia. And yes, in case you're wondering, I am short. I, I looked at the statistics. I'm in the shortest 1% of the male population. So I told my three boys, hey, boys, chances are when you grow up, you'll be just like me, not very good looking and very short. So no girl is ever going to like you. So your only chance in life is to study hard and to make a lot of money. So it's a joke. It's a joke. I've never said that to them. But hang on. Every Asian sitting out there saying, hang on, hang on. But that's what I tell my children. No, no, no. It's a joke. It's a joke. I don't say that to my children. So thanks again for having me here. So a few years ago, I went to a U2 concert. And I thought, hey, how good to go to a concert, hey? Look at me, still rocking it, still kicking it. I still got it. But then halfway through the U2 concert, I looked around and I thought, hang on, everyone around here is really old. <laughs> they don't have hair on the top of their heads. They've got the dad bod. There are no young people here. This is not what young people listen to. My world has changed. And our world has changed overnight. Every year, less and less people say they're Christians. Every year, less and less people go to church. Our world has changed. We're now post-churched, post-reached, post-Christian. And that just means whatever used to work in evangelism 20 years ago is not going to work so well now. So our question today isn't even how, but why. Why should I talk about Jesus in this post-Christian world? And to answer that, we're going to look at 2 Timothy. So once again, I've come all the way from Australia, but I understand in this church, we're going through a series through the books of Timothy, and we're coming to the second last study on Timothy, and today we're coming to 2 Timothy 4. And I'm going to look at 2 Timothy 4, so if you've got that, keep that open in front of you, and I'm going to suggest at least three reasons why I should talk about Jesus in this post-Christian world. So reason number one from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 is this. Reason number one, why should I talk about Jesus in this post-Christian world? Reason number one, because it's out of season. Why should I talk about Jesus in this post-Christian world? Because it's out of season. Let's look at what Paul says. Verse 2, Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they're going to wander off into myths. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, the famous command, preach the word. And when we hear that, often we think, okay, this is for a professional, trained Christian minister, maybe to stand on a pulpit in a church setting, open the Bible and to preach 
the word. And yes, it's that, but it's actually so much more. In the book of Timothy, if you've been paying attention, Paul often talks about this tradition that's been handed down to him, which he's now handing down to Timothy, which Timothy himself has a hand on to others. So Paul calls it the word, the tradition. It's a gospel. It's a good news of Jesus. We need to pass this on. We've been given a ministry evangelism. We need to pass this news on. And so for most of us sitting here today, that just means as non-professional, non-trained Christians, it's how can I talk about Jesus to friends and family that I see every day in the street, at work and at school. And Paul says, you know what? In season, there was a time when this was in season, but now we come to a time when this will be out of season. And that's why we preach the word. Once again, I've come from Sydney, Australia. I love Australia because compared to here in the USA, everything is inside out, upside down. See, I come to you from the Southern Hemisphere. You're on the Northern Hemisphere. In Australia, we drive on the left-hand side of the road. Our steering wheel is on the right-hand side of the car. In Australia, right now, we are moving into summer But you guys are coming out of summer. So your question to me now is this, but how do you celebrate Christmas? Well, we still celebrate it in December. (laughs) So yes, we have the trees, we have the snowman, and yes, we have Santa. But you're looking at it, I think that's so wrong. It's so out of season. And yes, that's what it's like to talk about Jesus right now. It just feels wrong. It feels out of season. Because once again, every year the statistics, the surveys keep coming. Every year, less and less people identify as Christians. Every year, less and less people go to church. This is Ryan Burge. He's, done, he's put out a book called The Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, as in the nothings. He's found that, okay, there's a group called the nuns. They're not, they don't call themselves atheists. They don't call themselves Christians. They're just the nuns. They're not quite sure what to believe. 1975, it was 5% of America. Now it's 25% of America would call themselves the nuns. This book just came out two months ago, The Great De-Churching by Jim Davis, Mike Graham. Mike Graham was associated with Providence Church for a long time. And this has touched an earth. This book came out only two months ago and it's into its third reprinting. Just like 100 years ago, there was the Great Awakening. Now we've moved into the Great De-Churching. In, in the last few years, 40 million people in the USA have de-churched. They used to go to church. Now they don't go to church anymore. And so to talk about Jesus in this season just feels out of season. But Paul says we preach it not despite it being out of season, but because it's out of season. Yes, we might feel like the odd one out. We might feel like the outsider. Maybe we're the foreigner. But that's how God has always worked in the Bible. This is Joseph in Egypt. This is Daniel and his three friends in Babylon. This is Queen Esther and Persia. We're meant to be on the outside. We're meant to be the excluded ones. We're meant to be the foreigners. And Mark Sayers, who's a pastor, blogger, writer, author, expert on everything. He's a pastor in Melbourne, Australia. He is saying, you know what? This is our moment. It's not so much we're post-Christian, we're actually post-secular. 
because secularism thought it had the answers. Secularism said, you know what, all we need is good government, good science, good education, and our world will bit by bit get better and better. But then we've just had a pandemic and we still have wars going on. So now realise, you know, good government, good science, good education, good as they may be, aren't enough. We need something more. So Mark Sayers says, you know what, it's like the tide of secularism has gone so far out, the sheer weight of the gospel is going to come rushing back in. This is our moment. What seems to be a threat to the gospel is an opportunity for the gospel. When we seem weak, that is when God is at his strongest. So Ryan Birch agrees. He says we shouldn't be threatened by this nun's category. They are hungry. They're thirsty. They want to hear about Jesus. Jim Davis and Mike Graham agree in the book, The Great Dechurching. They don't just paint the challenge. They show the solution. They say in the 40 million who've stopped coming to church, we can split them up into two categories. We have the de-church casualty. That's where something bad has happened. There's been hurt. There's been trauma. There, there have been wrongs, the de-church casualty. But there's another group called the casually de-churched. They just casually de-churched. They didn't stop believing, but bit by bit, little things happen one by one and they just stopped coming to church. Maybe life got busy. Maybe they had a child. Maybe there was a death, a divorce. Maybe there was weekend sport. Maybe they changed town. They changed schools. And bit by bit, they just found themselves not going to church. So they asked, well, well how do we get these people coming back to church? For the de-church casualty, what, well, we're going to have to... We're going to have to show love. There's going to have to be restoration. There's going to be healing. We have to be intentional to the de-church casualty. But to the casually de-church, they asked them, what would it take to bring you back to church? And if they fell out of church, just bit by bit, little, little by little, they said, you know what? It wouldn't take much. We just bring them back to church, but through a series of little moments. So they asked this group, what would it take to bring you back to church? You know what they said? A phone call. That's all it would take. If a friend of mine from the church I used to go to just rang me up, I would come back to church. 51% of casually de-churched people said, if someone just rang me, I would re-church. I would come back to church. We preach the word in season and also out of season. The second reason why we preach the word, why we tell our friends about Jesus is this. It's who we are. I'm sorry, it's just what we do because it's who we are. It's our life. It's how we're wired. This is how Paul explains it. Verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. Paul, why, why do you tell people about Jesus? He says, because it's who I am. It's my life. I gave it everything. Now, men love to cook a barbecue. They love to grill. Why? Because there's fire. <laughs> men love danger. So women, if you tell your guy that doing the laundry is dangerous, <laughs> he will do the laundry. So men love the barbecue. Men love the fire, the smoke. 
and no one does fire better than the Japanese. Like when they do a barbecue, they pour stuff on to make it smoke more. And Paul says, that's what my life has been like. I've been the drink offering. I'm that little bit that you pour on top of the hot plate and it's gone. It's all gone. There's nothing left. He says, that's my life. I gave it everything. You pour me in a hot plate, there's nothing left. I gave it everything. It was my life. And in sports, we call that putting it all out there, leaving it all on the playing field. And so Paul says, okay, you want a sporting analogy? I'll give you a sporting analogy. It's this, I did, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. It was all of me. It was hours wide. My whole life was intentional and unintentionally telling people about Jesus. It's basically what fitness and health should be like. But we compartmentalise fitness and health. Every year we say, this year I'm going to get fit. This year. So we sign up to the gym. We jump on a running machine. But we still drive the car to the gym and we look for the closest parking spot so we don't have to walk to the gym. (laughs) We lift weights. We lift heavy things. But we still use that garage door opener so we don't have to lift anything too heavy. We jump on an artificial stair machine, but we still take the escalator so we don't have to take the stairs, right? So fitness is this small segment of our life and really our whole life needs to be fitness and health. And evangelism is the same. We think, ah, telling people about Jesus is just going to be a small part of my life, a little five minutes here and there, once a week. And it's something the church does. It's it's an event we just put on the the calendar, but it's instead our whole life has to become evangelistic. It's something we do intentionally and unintentionally. But at this moment, we're saying, oh, come on, that's easy for you to say. But how do I do this? We're post-Christian. I'm like, how does this actually happen? For me to tell you, hey, you need to tell your friends and family about Jesus. That's like me yelling at a drowning man, swim. Like the drowning person saying, I would if I could. The reason I'm drowning is I can't. And me telling you, hey, you should tell friends and family about Jesus. Well, that's how it feels to you right now. Look, I would if I could. You had me at hello, but how do I do this? Well, what are some simple, easy ways we can do this? Well, first thing, come along tonight because there's a seminar where I share some easy, practical ways that my wife and I have been telling our friends and family about Jesus on our street, at work and at school Uh, And to make it easy for you, it's been all summarised in this book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy by me. I know you're not allowed to blow your own trumpet, but hey, it's done very well in Australia, done very well in the UK, starting to do well in the USA, won some award with Outreach Magazine, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, full of tips that have worked for my wife and me, tips I'll share with you tonight as well. But Here's a quick summary of some of the tips that I want to talk about. First thing we can do is, well, how about we merge our universes of friends? Typically, as Christians, we have two separate universes of friends, one with our Christian friends, one with our non-believing friends, and we keep the two separate. How about we merge our universes so we're not the only Christian bozo in the life of our non-believing friends, but they have other Christian bozos who believe the same thing, and suddenly they find belonging tribe and they'll bit by bit say, you know what, this is way more believable because heaps of my friends also believe the same thing that this one other bozo believes. Now, many of my bozo friends also believe the same thing. 
We can also go to their things, go to their birthday parties, go to their fundraisers, go to their concert nights. And by going to their things, by taking an interest in their life, they will take an interest in our life and start coming to our things. We can also practice hospitality. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It could be just take out pizza. It could just be coffee. But food and drink provides a space and permission for people to talk, to share, to become vulnerable because it's a safe area to talk and have good conversation. We also can try to become the unofficial de facto chaplain in our friend's life. So someone, and again, they can share with. And we do that by showing genuine curiosity in their life by loving them, by listening to understand, being the calm, non-anxious presence in their life, offering to pray for them. In other words, all we're trying to do is just be Jesus to our friends. Love them and just be Jesus. Every day when I drive my boys to school, our prayer goes like this. Dear God, today let me be Jesus to those around me. Love them like Jesus. Bring the mercy, goodness and peace of Jesus. And opportunities to talk about Jesus will come up. So we become intentional and then unintentionally opportunities will arise. Third reason why we should talk about Jesus in a post-Christian world is this. Because Jesus is king. That's why we talk about him. Paul puts it this way, verse 1. He says, hey, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, which means king, who is to judge the living and the dead because he's king, and by his appearing and his kingdom because he's king. It's because he's king we talk about Jesus. Fast forward to verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, so King Jesus, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved who have loved his appearing. Why do we talk about Jesus? Because he's king. That's why we talk about Jesus. A few years ago, I visited my missionary friends in Peru. And they stayed in a city called Arequipa. It's a little city, but in the background of Arequipa is this giant mountain called El Misti. It's almost 20,000 feet tall. That means every day when you live in Arequipa, you're aware that there's a mountain just back there. It's a big mountain and you live in its shadow. And your destiny is its destiny. It's a live, living, active volcano. If it has a good day, you have a good day. If it has a bad day, you're going to have a very bad day. And it's going to be here long after you and I are gone. So why do we talk about Jesus? Because Jesus is king. We live in his shadow. His destiny is our destiny. And he will be here long after you and I are gone. And that means kings will come and go. Presidents will come and go. Even nations will come and go. But only Jesus is here forever. But more than that, only Jesus can make a difference. Only Jesus can change this world. And only Jesus can save this world. That's why he came into this world, because his name is Jesus, the Lord saves. Our number one need is not to be richer. It's not to own more things. It's not to live longer, but it's to be saved by Jesus. And Paul says that's why we preach the word. 
And again, for you and me, that's to talk about Jesus to friends and family that we see every day on the street, at work and at school. But again, you think, well, what do I talk about? What's there to talk about? Like, what's the message of Jesus? Well, there are many ways we can talk about Jesus. The Bible has many ways. But I learned this easy to remember way. I learned it from Tim Keller. And Tim Keller, I learned it from someone else. So it's not original to me, not original to Tim Keller. And it simply goes like this. When you meet your friend, you won't be able to say it all at once. But you're trying to say, if they ever ask you, what do you believe as a Christian? Like, really, what do you believe? I believe that Jesus came to me in a manger I believe that he also died on a cross and I believe that he is king. He will come again as king. Manger, cross, king. And from that you riff on what you can say about Jesus. Came to us on a manger, cross and he's king. But at the same time, I'm a nerd and my nerd radar is firing. My nerd senses are tingling. This is a room full of nerds. I can sense it. Like the nerd game is very strong here. You know, I think I don't want these little Mickey Mouse Sunday school words. Give me some meaty, beefy words. All right, okay. So if you went to a seminary and you were writing a PhD paper, these are the words you use. We're actually talking about the incarnation. Jesus became one of us our living species of life on this planet. He took on our flesh and blood. He took on our nose, our armpit hair, our acne. He became us, a human being. More than that, atonement. Him dying on the cross is an atoning sacrifice from Jesus to us. More than that, he's a king. He'll come again one day. Restoration. He'll make all things new. And think, oh, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. Multi-syllable abstract nouns. All right, but let's put it into action language. Let's have some vivid verbs. What are we saying about Jesus? This is what we're saying. We're saying Jesus became one of us. And, you know, the problem is we always tell people they're special. If you're special, I'm special, but everyone's special. That doesn't make us very special. And it's worse if you're Asian because there's so many of us, right? Hard to feel important, right, when you have, there's so many of us. But no, you are important because Jesus became one of us. More than that, he died for us in our place. More than that, he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. That's going to make all things new. And what I love about this, this juggles all the tensions that we have in the Christian message, all the components. So it's holistic because what we're saying, you know what, you're a soul. You are a soul. You're a spirit person. That's why we sense we're more than the sum of our parts. That's why we sense we're more than just atoms and molecules. That's why we sense there's a story bigger than just my story that's going on right now. But at the same time, your body is important. Your body is so important. Jesus became a body. That means things like science. That means things like health. That means things like nutrition. That means things like medicine are very important. It's also saying, hey, you need to make an individual decision whether you want to believe or not. doesn't matter whether your parents believed or not. You have to decide for yourself, do I want to be part of Team Jesus? But once you decide to become part of Team Jesus, well, buddy, you have corporate responsibility. You've joined a team, a family the church. So you have corporate responsibility. That's why you still gather as a body of believers. This isn't something you practice in the privacy of your own home. 
More than that, it's saying, hey, salvation is important. That's why Jesus came, to save you. But at the same time, he's coming in, setting up a physical kingdom here on earth. So planet earth matters. That means creation is important. That means providence is important. What is God's plan for me? That's important. That means justice is important. God's heart longs for justice right now, and our hearts also long for justice. And that means we also practice wisdom. You know, there are categories in the Bible, what's true, what's real, but what's wise? What is the wise thing to do? And that's what made Joseph stand out in Egypt, Daniel and three friends in Babylon, Queen Esther and Persia. It was their wisdom. Let our wisdom shine. So let's go back to the original question this morning, and it was this, why? Why should I talk about Jesus in this post Christian world. And here I've suggested at least three things from 2 Timothy 4. We do it because it's out of season. This is our moment to shine. We also do it because it's who we are. It's our mission. It's our life. We're going to give it everything. We too will be that drink offering where there's nothing left. We gave it all. And number three, we do it because Jesus really is king. Only he can save. That's why we preach Jesus. The Winter Olympics. Ah, I think that's something that unites Australia and the USA. You know, for Australians and Americans, the Winter Olympics, you know, it's meh. It's, yeah, it's neither here nor there. That's a European thing to do. That's where they do all these weird sports we don't understand. It's a European thing. But every now and then, We have our moments, don't we? We have our moments of glory. For the Australians, it was 2002, Salt Lake Olympics, where Stephen Bradbury, coming last in the speed skating thing, the three guys in front of him just fell and he just went, (laughs) won a gold medal by doing nothing. That was our first gold medal for Australia. That was our moment of glory. But for you guys in the USA, this was your moment of glory, wasn't it? The miracle on ice. The, uh, the, The USA team full of college kids, amateurs, took on the Soviet team. They were out muscled, out gun, but somehow they believed and they had history on their side. And that's what it feels like to be a Christian right now, doesn't it? We feel outnumbered. We feel like we're the foreigners, the exiles. But, you know, we believe because we know we've got history on our side. And that's why we talk about Jesus. Because it's out of season, because it's who we are, and because Jesus really is King. Let's pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this tradition that you passed on to Paul, this tradition that Paul passes on to Timothy, and this tradition that you pass on to us today, that we are to preach your word, to proclaim the gospel, to bring good news, to talk Jesus to our friends and family. Why do we do this? Because only Jesus can make a difference. Only Jesus can change his world. Only Jesus can save. 
And that's why we ask you today to pour your spirit out onto us so that we can be a blessing to those around us because precisely your message is out of season. But that's why they need to hear it so more because it's who we are. It's our ministry. It's our mission. And because we know only Jesus is King. And so it's in His name now that we sing and in His name now that we give you this prayer. Amen.